Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs. Back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking, and today is the Power Hour. I've got the guys from Pittsburgh Power helping me out. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance. Engines, performance, fuel mileage, upgrades, modifications, horsepower, torque, electrical emissions, new technology, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call. We're going to get to those calls in just a little bit. We've got uh, John today, and maybe we might even have a treat for you. We might have Pete today. So let's see who's on the other end of the line. Hey, guys, welcome. Hi, Kevin. How you doing? Oh, we there. do have Pete. There's your treat. We got Pete. That's right. Yep. Good. That's exciting. <laughs> So uh, what's cool. new Good and to be exciting here, Kevin. over there today? Um, I don't know. Anything interesting, Pete, you want to talk about? We finally got our injector machine fixed. We could flow uh, Cummins PT injectors again. So that was, a, that, that was a work in progress over the last year and a half. So that thing is finally up and running. Oh, good. Uh, that's the biggest, biggest news I've got on this end. Got it. Yeah, nothing too exciting. No. All right, just... Uh, nope, um, let's see, what else? I was off to the, uh, last Friday I was over at the PRI show in Indianapolis and met up with the uh, with the EasyLink people about doing the uh, the, the new product for the, the modern trucks with the uh, full telematics. Uh, we'll be able to, you know, look at data and uh, upload and download uh, calibrations for computers uh, via a cloud-based service that they offer. Uh, we're going to start with Cummins. So we've got some uh, modern Cummins tuning we're going to be doing via that thing as well as data analysis. And it will also work as an ELD. They've done all their registration with the FMCA and everything they need to do on their end for uh, ELDs. So this same unit will work as an ELD as well. So uh, look for that in the near future. I'm hoping by uh, at least have the prototype up and running and uh, and working by the time we get to, uh, uh, to March at uh, Louisville. So that's uh, that's my goal. That Got was the reason for the trip out there. Got it. Interesting. You know, John, you and I read a lot of the same publications. We follow a lot of the same news. It, it, everything in in vehicles right now is all technology. It's all, you know, we have electrical that's right on the verge. We have autonomous going on. A lot of technology, and of course, the big news in trucking is the ELD. And boy, talk about a very divisive topic. You know, we have some people, honestly, the tide has shifted. You know, a couple of years ago, it was hard to find anybody that would actually stand up and say, sure, I'd love to have an ELD, unless you talk to people who were using them. I was shocked when I started talking to people who were using ELDs years ago. Many of them would say, look, I hated when they told me we were doing this. I didn't want to do it. Now that I use it, I actually like it. I heard that a lot. I was shocked. Well, now that we're this close... I get that. Go ahead. Yep. I get that here, too. I mean, I don't want to say it's 50-50. The ones who don't like are the ones who don't have it yet. You know? and, exactly. And nobody likes being told what to do. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that's natural human 
instinct is like, you know, damn government's not going to tell me what to do. <laughs> right. I'll drive an old truck forever. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, but the ones who have just done it are mm-hmm. fine. You know, they, Hey, no more paperwork. I don't have to do all that, uh, you know, miles and states crap for if that's all done, right. you know, there's nothing to worry about. And then the insights that I were provided to me this weekend from uh, the guys at easy link, they know very little. So those that are paranoid, uh, all it knows is if the truck's moving or not. You know, that's basically yeah. it. That's the only info they had to give it uh, and some other, you know, other than paperwork on their end to make it into an ELD. So, you know, it doesn't know anything about your engine. It doesn't know if uh, any kind of work's been done to it. Nothing. It knows nothing that's been done. Right. All it knows is if right. the truck's moving or not. Which, it's really that simple. Which is what makes me wonder, and, and I'm warning people about this, because there are people that are going out and selling perfectly good trucks to buy pre-99 trucks just to get away from this. And, and you know, any time we buy, sell, trade, we lose money. I mean, there's no way to come out good on this. You, you sell at wholesale, you buy at retail. You, you get screwed. Um, and what I'm warning people about, I don't know why that 99 exemption even exists. We could put an ELD on a mechanical engine. We don't need any data from the oh, truck. All we need is GPS. And that's everywhere now. Yeah, just use GPS, yeah. Right. Yep. That, that's yep. so dirt cheap. Uh, evidently, everywhere. there are apps on your phone that could be an ELD. I mean, Correct. there are there are literally apps yeah. you know, that, that still needs a 1939 connection, but you don't need much. Uh, it doesn't need much at all. Like I said, all it knows is if the truck's moving or not, which I, I found was interesting. You know, I thought yep. that, that was an interesting uh, part of it. So, But, uh, yeah, that whole 99, that, old, that whole old truck thing just drives me crazy. I, I hope I don't offend anybody with this, but... Do you really want a truck with the door panels falling apart and the uh, all the vents in the dashboard yeah. rattling and all the? I mean, I could hear this. Oh, it's got a new engine in it. I'm like, so what? It, yeah. You're still, you know, you still got worn out uh, hinges and, and what about rear ends and transmissions and you know, it's just, it's you know, okay, so you could change all that stuff. At which point you spent more money than you would on a new truck. Just for it, an it just ELT. doesn't make any sense to me at all. And then you still have all the little stuff that you didn't change. You still have that wiring harness that's been rubbing on things for for you know. 25 years now and yeah it's just it's just crazy that 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 whole philosophy drives me nuts and then all they talk about is the engine oh, but the engine's new i'm like well okay <laughs> well and the thing is you know, rebuilt. you know you get trucks in there that are old that are, the the guys owned it from day one it's still really nice and and he just always wanted to keep the truck you know there's an argument to be made about cost there that you know you make a lot of money that's a that whole truck. different story exactly that's, Right. That's different than buying someone's old 1999 truck. Exactly. That's a whole different story. Exactly. You got someone who took care of one forever. That's a beautiful thing. We and we see a lot of those here. We do. And, and you uh, you know, those. generally it's the old, you know, the old Pete's or whatever that yeah. are just spotless, and there's no reason to ever get rid of that truck. That's that's another story. But to seek out right. a truck that you don't know the history of that you didn't <laughs> right. own that's you know now 28 years old. Yeah. That does not make sense at all. And, that makes no sense at all to me. And knowing the government and how they tend to screw a lot of things up, I would not be surprised if after this goes into effect, somebody, the light bulb goes off, and somebody in, in the FMCSA or somewhere else in the government says, hey, wait a minute, what was the point of the exemption? This makes no sense. We could easily, why have these two classes of trucks running around, one exempt and one not? There's no reason for this. So, and the government can change their yeah. mind any time. So I would be very, very careful. If you already own a 99 truck, an older or a glider, well, great. Maybe you'll be exempt for a while. 
but I would not go out and buy one just for this exemption. Yeah. Well, I think there's even trucking companies that are requiring it. There are. So it's not even... Right. If you're driving for someone, they want them on there. Well, and there's a good reason. it doesn't matter what you're driving. They they simply want them. There's a good reason for that. If you're leased to a fleet, the fleet is responsible for the hours of service compliance. So they have whole departments that you submit your logbook to the fleet. The compliance department goes through it to make sure there are no mistakes. And if there are, they try to fix them if they can so that they don't get dinged on an audit. And they don't want to keep that department anymore. They want to get rid of that because that's what ELDs do for the fleet. There, there's no more log auditing because it's all done electronically. So that's why the fleets are saying, hey, look, everybody in our fleet's going to ELD because we don't want two systems to deal with. So it's, uh, here's the interesting thing, John. You were just talking about the telematics, which have been around for a very long time. I mean, it seems to me like the first one I remember was GM's GM's OnStar, which has been around a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Um, All of that technology is getting more and more sophisticated. Not only are trucks and vehicles talking to the cloud, vehicles are going to start talking to each other, vehicles are going to start talking to the road, to sensors in the pavement. That is coming. There's no way around it. And yes, once we connect vehicles to the cloud, they could be hacked, especially as we start to put in more and more of these safety features, automatic braking, lane departure. Um, I haven't bought a new vehicle in in quite some time, so I was just out shopping, um, looking around at a couple different things. Everybody in 17 went to all of these safety systems. They are standard on so many vehicles now, and yet the, the anti-ELD people are freaking out that, oh, my God, with an ELD, they're going to hack my truck and cause mayhem. And the ELD is a passive device. E- even if they can hack it, what are they going to do? Put you out of service? Change your duty status? That's the worst no, they, they can do. Yeah. They can't yep. touch the truck through that. There's nothing they can control through that ELD other than your logbook, your record of duty. Big deal. Why would anybody bother? Because hacking into this stuff is not child's play. You know, you're probably going to take a thousand Russians sitting in a basement somewhere for months to figure out how to hack into this stuff. They're not going to do it to change your logbook. Stick around. We'll be right back with more stuff. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got John and Pete with me from Pittsburgh Power helping out. We're going to get to your calls in just a little bit. So, you know, one more thing on the whole hacking issue. Clearly, it could be done. They've shown some demonstrations. They can hack into a vehicle, turn it off, you know, some weird stuff. That's the world we live in. We're not going to stop that. But, you know, I think back, I was really early into the whole computer thing. I mean, way back in the mid-'80s, I was already starting with computers. I built a couple. So I was on PCs for about 18 years, lots of experience with Windows and PCs. And all I remember was all of the damn security software, you know, constantly updating against viruses. It would always block you from doing something else. It was nonstop. When I switched to Mac and I was setting up my computer the first time, I'm like looking around trying to find security software, thinking I needed it, and people laughed at me. They're like, you have a Mac. You don't need to. And, and, but people back then were saying, oh, well, the only reason they haven't hacked a Mac is because there aren't enough of them to worry about. You just wait, it'll come. Well, here we are, um, almost 20 years later, I still run no security software on any of my Macs. It's not to say they couldn't be hacked, but obviously there's a reason they really haven't been yet. I mean, there's no real virus threat on a, on a Mac Nobody I know runs any kind of antivirus software on Macs. It's either too difficult, it's too time-consuming, there's just you know not enough money in it, which I think is going to be the biggest thing about all of this you know autonomous technology and connectivity in vehicles. It's not to say it can't be done, but it hasn't really been done yet, it, and you know, it's part of the world we live in. It could be a threat, and, and we'll just have to keep, you know, figuring out ways to block it. Well, there's no there's no financial upside for somebody to do it. You'd mentioned, you know, 100 Russian hackers, the basement. Well, what's their, what's their, what would they get from it? <laughs> right. You know, what's, what does anyone have to hide? Like, why would they put forth the effort to hack your truck? You're like, your self-importance must be really up there. You know, you must think you're really special for someone to really want to hack into your truck. Why would they? Right. What's what's anyone have to gain? Right. It's not, it's not going to get them access to your bank account or anything. It's just going to, you know, so... So there's no reason to put forth an effort to do that. So that's why, uh, you know, there's really nothing to worry about there. That doesn't, uh, you know, I don't know why that would bother anybody. Well, you know, they, they talk about, well, what about a terrorist? You know, they'll take control of the vehicle and kill people. Well, why, when all they have to do is walk into the subway with a pipe bomb strapped to their chest, which takes very little money, very little effort, and it's very effective. Why would they go through the trouble yeah, yep. of, of tr- all? I mean, I yeah, don't they, think people get how complicated it would be to hack a vehicle and take control of it. Yeah, it would be really complicated. And again, you wouldn't. That would the the return on their investment there wouldn't be worthwhile either. Yeah, that just just wouldn't. All right, so uh, you know one so of the interesting. One of the things I've been uh, seeing a lot of lately, something that you talk about, the electrification, even not a true electric truck, but axle technology and regenerative braking and some of those things. A lot of news about that. A lot of money being invested into electrification of all kinds on vehicles right now. 
I, I stick by my uh, the hybrid uh, philosophy first. I mean, as much as the you know everything turns me on with the electric itself, uh, I would just put on to another company called Axle Tech that uh, is part of U.S. Gear, which is actually owned by General Dynamics, which is building an electric truck axle right now. So there's another one out there, and it's it's and it's a, and it's a it's a big player. So there's uh, there'll be electrification really soon. I mean, you're going to have it, or it's going to be commonplace really soon. It, you could have it now if you want it, uh, but it's uh, it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be a really big deal. Yeah, there's so many I forgot. I think it was um, Eaton or one of the big uh, truck OEMs just bought a company and invested a ton of money into the same kind of thing, just just electric axle technology. Which I think you're right. I think that's what's coming first. It makes sense. You know, we're not trying to build a whole new truck, change everything. I think we're going to ease into this. You know, other than the Nikola and the Tesla, who knows what's going to happen with those. But I think you're you're right. We're, we're right. going to well, see. Well, Mercedes will be there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. So you know, especially with the uh, you've you've commented on this for other purposes, but with the uh, the six by two being so so commonplace now, I mean, you could buy a truck that's ready to have that electric axle installed under the back right from the right from the factory. Absolutely. Or they'll start installing them at the factory. So you just have that uh, second axle there to help out and to generate, uh, you know, some electricity going down the hills. That's a that's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So that, and that's exciting. I mean, that that's um, that could be a big thing. And it's uh, certainly, you know, that that leaves the owner operator right in the market. You know, we're not talking about needing a two hundred thousand dollar truck. You know, we could do some axles, you know, the uh, Hyleron and, and did I say that right? Is that what it is? Hylion. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that yep. that's well within the reach of an owner operator with a, with a really quick return on investment possibly. So I'm excited about that. I'm not sure why we get pushback um, on the whole electrical thing. I get the autonomous thing, but I'm not sure why we get so much pushback on the electrical. I'm excited about some of that uh, inefficiencies and cost. And here's the thing. When I see this kind of technology, I think it puts the owner-operator in a better position. You're not going to see fleets. You'll see some of it, but you're not going to see widespread adoption. You're not going to see fleets go out and buy you know, 500 of these things to put on their tractors. There's way too much risk for them. So I think you know, any time this new technology starts to make it into the market... I believe it favors the little guy, not the big guy. Well, just because they can maneuver faster, right? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. we've got guys here who could benefit from that immediately. You know, if, if we were to it, try to work out a deal to get one of those axles under Steve's truck, who's already getting nearly 11 miles per gallon, um, you know, that's that's a big jump. I mean, he's going to go he's going to go right to, you know, probably 13, somewhere somewhere between 13 and 15, i got to believe. Yeah. So that would uh, that'll make, that'll help him to make some money. So that would be a, that would be a big deal, you know. So yeah, the guys can maneuver quicker; they could get things done quicker than the big fleets can. So that could could give you an edge. Absolutely. Um, I know people hate this topic, but a uh, lot of money going into autonomous. What did, did uh, I, so many articles? I get them all confused. Didn't you just send me one where uh, Ford invested a billion dollars into a little company there in Pittsburgh? A billion dollars into a little Pittsburgh company, yeah, called Argo AI. It was started by uh, actually a pit engineer, but it's uh, it's mostly populated by CMU engineers right now. But yeah, so Argo and and from 
I hear rumors from people in real estate business in town that Ford bought a huge, huge hunk of land, uh, some old, some old brownfield site uh, near the Strip District here in Pittsburgh uh, for for their work with Argo and their their autonomous lab. So yeah, it's crazy. It's happening right in our backyard. I mean, it's maybe I'm a little more attached to it because of that. Uh, but yeah, so that that article on Argo was pretty amazing. But yeah, billion dollars. Yeah, so, so not just throwing it, around millions anymore. It's billions. You know, as, as much as people freak out when I talk about this, and and as much as they you know just go nuts on Facebook, you and I talk about this a lot. But my point has always been, it's coming. You can't change that. So get out ahead of the curve and figure out how we're going to take advantage of this. And and here's one way I'm already starting to see, and I, I see other owner operators thinking this way, which I love. Right now, there is freight everywhere. Rates are going through the roof. Things are looking good. Now, clearly, we're not there yet, but these are the kind of opportunities you have to look for. There's lots of freight. That should be, you know, great news for every owner-operator on the, on the face of the country. But there's another problem. You can only drive so many hours yourself, and, and ELDs are going to shrink that mm-hmm. down a little bit as well. And... Drivers are next to impossible to find these days, and it's going to get worse. Good drivers are really hard to find. So how do you take advantage of this fact that there's freight everywhere, rates are great, but you're limited? You have a a limited income potential because of the hours. Well, I saw one guy, and this is exactly how people should be thinking. He said, look, I wish right now that I could buy two, two vehicles that would platoon and I could get in my truck on the East Coast and make it to the West Coast with two more truckloads behind me and no drivers. I mean, we're not there, but that's the way people need to be thinking. Well, and that could be one way that it phases in as well. Right. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. The platooning technology, after the conversation I had with my friend at Packar about that, just just blows me away the way the, talks, the trucks talk to each other and they work together and you know, all the deals around that that are going to have to be made just, just blew me away. Like, I, I, I didn't think of any of that. Uh, so, but there there's opportunity there. You're absolutely right. So, you know, one driver could be driving two trucks. Like, that could be, a, you know, like, phase one of it. Exactly. Yeah, and, and now all of a sudden we have an owner-operator who could potentially double his revenue without the problems of needing another driver. Because <clears throat> whether you want them, need them, they're becoming very very rare to find good drivers today and if the drivers are that good they're probably going to go buy their own truck and become an owner operator because there's so much potential so all right we're going to come right back and get to your calls and questions right after this break stick around i'm kevin rutherford
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. John and Pete are helping me out from Pittsburgh Power, and we're going to get to your calls and questions. We're going to start off in Arizona. Patrick, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. Peter, John, how are you guys doing today? Good. What's on your mind? Good. How are you? Well, I should have an oil sample for you, Kevin. I've got it here in front of me, and... All right. First, go ahead. First of all, I'd like to, like to say that um, the reason the silicon is just a little high is because right after the oil was uh, put in, it was actually taken out again, and I had uh, put, uh, had a uh, main uh, rear main seal and oil pan gasket uh, reinstalled. Okay. So, so that's going to be why the silicon is a little high. Yep, that'll do it. Now, the other thing that's more concerning is the sodium and potassium aren't out of control, but they certainly are climbing. Um, during all that, did we... Uh, or, or, this probably isn't even enough that you're losing coolant yet, but we're getting some coolant in the oil somewhere. Patrick? Oh, I'm sorry, you cut out there for a second. Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. What was the last thing you said, Kevin? Well, it, it, we're getting some coolant in the oil from somewhere. Not a lot. It's only a little bit right yeah. now, but but it's climbing. Yes, I'm worried I may have another injector cup go here soon. Uh, Cummins. What engine is it? N14. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, they can do that. Um, how many miles are on those cylinder heads? Um, shoot. Um, one of them is the Cummins Reman, and the other two are quite old, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure. As you can see, it's got 931,000 on a, on a uh, crank-only out-of-frame rebuild. Okay. Now, are you using green antifreeze or red? Red. Okay. I was going to say, if you're using green, make sure you treat it with the DCA, and that'll help the injector tube some as well. Okay. If you're using red, you're okay. Um, another thing that's prone to affecting the um, cups would be if you ever overheat the engine. Have you overheated it recently? Uh, let's see. Um, no extreme overheat. Um, of course, it'll warm up pretty good, especially on a hard pull on a hot day. How hot will it get? Well, see, here's the thing. My gauge, I'm certain, is not showing quite right because the high water temperature warning buzzer will come on before my gauge reaches 210. Okay. You want to get that checked out. Mm -hmm. Um, But fortunately, to check for the um, tubes leaking is pretty easy. I mean, you simply pull the injectors out and pressure test it. Uh, Put some pressure on the radiator and you can see if they're leaking or not. Okay. So it's All right. relatively, you know, easier to find it on this engine than some of the other engines. Right. right. I would get that now, gauge straightened out because that's pretty critical if it is running hot and you're not seeing it on your gauge. Yeah. Now, I do have one other question for Kevin about uh, fuel mileage testing if you have time. Sure, go ahead. Well, I, I don't think that the 30-day average is... Uh, 
the right thing to do in my operation because, of course, I do agricultural stuff, and depending on the season, we run different lanes. So I might be running out of uh, Tulsa, which is in a hole, and bringing it up to higher elevations um, for 30, 60 days, and then running a different lane for some other times. But now I'm coming up on what I hope is going to be a little piece of dedicated run where I'm just going to do two runs a week, okay. same lane, same same weight, same route, everything. Got it. Okay. So so I'm wondering if uh, you think it would be a good idea to maybe do, say, two runs for one week, usually fueling up after each run, and then test the different speeds, um, you know, 75 miles an hour, 70, 67, and then all the way down to 57 miles an hour because – I've tried pulling down so far, and it really doesn't seem to have the uh, that whole um, one-tenth per mile an hour um, of reduced speed. Um, I've slowed down 67 so far, and I'm still working on a 30-day average, so I don't want to say too much, but it seems like it it, it might be doing, well, it's certainly not as much as uh, it's supposed to. Well, keep in mind um, that any time I put out a number like that, it's an average and there are so many factors and variables in fuel mileage testing. You know, that one mile per hour, one-tenth of a gallon is kind of an average across the board, and it's between roughly 55 and 75. If we go faster than that, that number would change even more because that curve is exponential. But it, it's kind of a good guideline. We're pretty close most of the time. Um, if you're if you're nowhere near that, like let's say somebody were to slow down ten miles an hour, and literally only pick up two tenths of a mile per gallon, something's wrong. Either our testing is just really screwed up, or we have a mechanical problem with the truck. Even gearing, I mean, gearing can affect that a little bit, but not that much. The one of the things people don't realize is. Real true fuel mileage testing with one truck is outrageously difficult to get any kind of accurate information. I, I had the perfect setup for, you know, two decades for doing fuel mileage testing. I had two and three trucks running in the same lane every day, same drivers. The weather didn't even change much because it was Florida and Georgia. I was able to not only test a truck very consistently, I was able to put a control truck into the mix. So if you understand testing, we test one truck, we use the other truck as a control. We don't change anything on the second truck because sometimes I would test something, my test truck would show, you know, three-tenths of a mile per gallon improvement over the 60 or 90 days, but so did the control truck. So that tells you, hey, wait a minute, something changed in the entire environment that may have had nothing to do with the product you're testing. So it's really, really difficult. I encourage people, test all you want, keep all the records, you're going to learn something. Um, The other thing I would say is if, if you don't have a scan gauge, I'd get one in because that's instant feedback that that gives us a lot, you know, more the fuel mileage isn't going to be completely accurate, but the changes are instant. We're not waiting to fill up again to check our numbers, and, and in that fill-up time, a lot of other things could have changed. Okay. See, the reason I haven't gotten the scan gauge is because I'll impulsively try and 
try different things and once again, you know, try and maximize fuel economy. I'm just trying to do the speed only because there's a lot of people that say 70 is the most efficient speed. And well, hold no, on, hold, I really hold don't on, think so. so I'm trying hold, to prove. Hold on. Not, I don't think so. Absolutely 100% incorrect. I'm sure John will jump in here. One of the tests that I saw on fuel economy, they did in Europe, and they did the test at 37 miles an hour. And they had Class 8 trucks at 90,000 pounds getting 13 miles to the gallon because they did the test at 37 miles an hour. It's physics. The faster you go, the more fuel you have to burn to do it. Oh, and I, I totally agree. But that, yeah. that's, that's yeah. exactly why I'm trying to, to prove this to the people who think, no, that's totally not true. So what do you think of my idea of the two, uh, yeah. Kind of, uh, yeah. two runs? Absolutely. You know, the, okay. the yeah. Awesome. And, now, and, but again, the scan gauge is, is pretty instant verification. You know, you get on a nice straight level run 70 miles an hour for, say, 10 minutes even, you get a, a, a number from the scan gauge, the next 10 minutes slow down to 55 and watch what happens. It's instant feedback. Yes, I'll have to be getting that soon. Uh, um, one last little thing. From what you do see on the, on the sample, other than the, uh, the coolant, you, would you think this engine may... Uh, May last another 100, 200,000 miles? I don't see any reason why it wouldn't from the data I have here. Now, that's not everything we need to know about how long an engine's going to last, but everything on this sample I can explain. Yeah. Your base is dropping, your oxidation is going up. That's a factor in the new oils. Very, very common. We're seeing it across the board. Your wear metals went up, but that's because of the coolant in the oil. The coolant, what oil are you using, by the way? Rotella, okay. the uh, 1540, of course. And, Good. Um, but I did change because I was seeing a little bit of low oil pressure, and I switched over to actually John Deere oil, their 1540. And it seems to have made a, a small difference, but I, it's not as significant enough to make it worth it. Yeah, and I don't know anything about John Deere oil, but the Rotella has a lot of zinc. So when you have a coolant leak, it's kind of nice to have Rotella in there because you're... The, the zinc's getting stripped out. We're starting to see some wear metals already with that coolant. We'll be right back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. John and Pete are with me here today. Um, John, Pete, I don't know anything about John Deere oil, but my guess is it's probably somebody else's oil anyway, just relabeled. Funny. During during the break, I was I was I was looking that up on my phone. 
uh, as soon as I find that info, I'll let you know. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, when I, I did a bunch of research so. on coolant, and it turns out even though we have eighty like 87 brands of coolant on the market, there are only three manufacturers in the country. Right. According to this uh, this person on the Internet, and we know that's always true, uh, <laughs> Chevron blends the oil for John Deere to their specifications. That's what so I figured. Chevron product. Yeah. yeah and, and actually... It's kind of interesting that it's Chevron because Dello is one of the oils that does not seem to hold up well when you get a coolant leak. I've had a couple. I went back and looked at this, and I pulled right. up a bunch of samples. You get a coolant leak with Dello, and you immediately start to see wear metals. Right. So it's a very low in zinc then. Not it, much zinc it, in that. It must be. I, I kept meaning to go look up that number, but something, and that would be the most logical thing. Um, but something about the Dello, you know, Rotella, it takes a while. The coolant builds up to pretty high levels. Then we start to see wear metals. The Dello, it's almost like instant, and that's what he's got going on here. We have very little coolant, but all of his wear metals jumped up right away. That would do it. All right. Let's, uh, let's head off to Wisconsin. Scott, welcome to the program. Hey guys, how's it going? Good. What's on your mind? Good. Good. Well, earlier this spring, my company bought three new Cascadia trucks with the Auto Shift uh, 12 speeds in them. And on all three trucks, the auto manual slash performance shifting button doesn't work. And at first, it was just an annoyance that they wanted to, you know, just stay in economy mode all the time. But after a bunch of erroneous shifting uh, during an ice storm recently up here that you know, almost put me in a ditch, I'm wanting to see if I can get that taken care of and, you know, what I need to be talking to my bosses about. So I'm just wondering if you have any idea if this is uh, just a simple ECM option or if there may actually be a problem that needs to be diagnosed. You know, one of the first things I'd that I'd be willing came, to bet that's a setting in the ECM. I, I was just going to say, I wonder. What was that? I, my first thought when you said that is, I wonder if that's if they're able to turn that off, and if the fleet actually ordered them that way, so you the drivers couldn't be messing with it. Uh, that's kind of what I thought. Um, I did talk to them about it, let them know what was happening, because you know when the the road was getting icy. I'm trying to keep a, a slow and steady speed, but because it's in economy mode, it wanted to keep trying to upshift on me, thinking I was accelerating. So I'm constantly having to fight, you know, shifting. It shifts up. Well, I can hit the the override lever and actually manually downshift it, and it'll stay downshifted for a little while. But then eventually, it's like, okay, we're we're going, so we're going to upshift again. And every time it does that, you know, you get the torque changes. They're unexpected. And next thing you know, your tires are spinning and, you know, truck wants to, you know, go sideways on you. So, yeah, it's actually become a, a bit of a safety issue. Yeah, I've got it. That's got to be a setting. I'm sure that they had that locked out or they're trying to go for full economy there without thinking. Okay. Yeah, I... I wasn't sure, like, and you know, I figured with you guys from Pittsburgh Power, um, you know, with all the, the computer stuff you guys work on, I wasn't sure if you had actually, you know, seen, you know, that as a setting for sure, or, or if you'd ever, you know, heard of that, you know, happening, you know, even as a like a wiring problem. 
Uh, unfortunately, Ian, or Ethan is uh, off ill today, or he'd probably know that answer. He's been all through that software. I, I personally have not looked at all the settings in there, but I'm willing to bet. Uh, maybe we could do a little more research on it, let you know next week. But uh, I'd be pretty sure that uh, that there's a setting in there. Yeah, the, the odds of three out of three trucks acting the same way and it being a problem are pretty slim. Um, so I, it, it sounds to me like it's more of the way they ordered them uh, rather than the other way around. Let's, uh, let's see. We're going to head off to Ohio. Herschel, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, John, everybody, Pete. I have two of them today, one oil... One of them oil-related, one of them truck-related. For the oil, you know they've got the new CK. Can't hardly find the CJ4 anymore. This engine, you guys did the M-frame. I have 362,000 miles since the M-frame. I've not put one drop of that oil in yet. Wow. I like to keep it that way, but now I'm hearing this CK oil. Is low on base, causing oxidation. That's the last thing I need is to hurt my engine because some guru thought to change the oil. Do well, I need the spin-on from Lubrifiner that has base? If so, where do I get it? Well, first, according to the, the, the stuff that I've done the research on right now, nobody's really clear on this yet. It's almost like that, that disappearing base took everybody by surprise. But they seem to be saying it's not a concern, and I don't understand that. Well, at what point will it become a concern? How low does the base go and then start causing problems? And we are starting to see some oxidation, which is another confusing issue. So just to be safe, until we figure this out, I'm telling people, go ahead and throw the Lubrifiner filter on. Um, as far as where you find them, I don't know. Maybe Peter John can help you with that. It, they're fairly popular. I know a lot of people are using them, but I never asked anybody where they're getting them. Okay, Kevin, I've heard you said maybe the labs will have to readjust and whatnot because of the new oil. That's all fine and dandy, but that doesn't do anything to protect the engine. You know, that's my right. Right. Question that's, and issue with the whole thing. Well, and that's why I'm saying until we get definitive I, answers, because I, I have I have engines showing up now with base all the way down in the very very low twos, with only twenty thousand miles. I mean that just makes no sense. Um, but we're being told it's not a big deal. We'll adjust. We'll. So I'm saying it, maybe it is a big deal. Let's not take a chance throw the filter on with the base because it'll bring the number right back up. Okay, well, I, trusting an industry is, well, they said EGR wasn't a big deal. <laughs> we know that's not true. <laughs> yeah. So, on the truck itself, when Pittsburgh Power did my end frame and they got all done, immediately after, the electronic oil pressure gauge showed goofy pressure readings compared to what it normally did going down the highway highway speed 60 mile an hour it's what always do i would always show 50 51 52 pounds always Uh, after the in-frame it decided that it didn't want to show that anymore it wanted to show about 30 32 so i had it back out there for something else for i believe it was for a um, overhead and they checked the ECM, and it changed something in the ECM to make it 
read it correctly, and that worked great. But during the beginning stages, I had a mechanical oil pressure gauge put in here because the electrical was scaring me to death. So I got all that done. It read beautiful. It was matching the mechanical, no problem, for probably 200,000 miles. Now, all of a sudden, and it seems to do it when I'm pulling a hill for whatever reason, all of a sudden, my little oil can light will come on, engine protect, check engine, like, holy crap, and it buzzes, and I look at the electric fuel gauge, or oil pressure gauge, it's showing 25 to 28, because this cheap Freightliner gauge only says 0, 50, and 100, that's all it says. Then I look over at my mechanical gauge, and I'm still showing 51, 52. I go, okay, this engine's going to turn me off one of these days. Do I maybe just have a bad sensor? And if so, can I change it? Where is it? What do you think? Uh, I'd go for the sensor for sure. That's uh, The sensor's probably seen enough vibrations in its life that it's not uh, not so accurate anymore. Do you have any idea where it is on a 14-liter D-Deck 4? I don't offhand. I wish I did know. Okay. I'm sure Frank uh, Iron can tell me. Yeah, let me. Uh, yeah, it should be easy to find. Uh, I'm sure if you just Google it, you'll find it. But it's, I believe, somewhere there on the left side of the engine, as I recall. But uh, is yeah, it better, up high better, enough, better. John? Go ahead. Probably in the block. It's in the block down the right galley. Yeah, yeah, somewhere on the left side. Somewhere it's down near the. Is it near the ECM somewhere? I'd say mid-engine. Mid-engine, yeah, somewhere on that side. Look down under the intake, below the intake manifold, into the block. Okay, it, it'll be up high enough I can take it out and not lose the oil out of the pan then. That's oh, yeah, 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 no, 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 it's it's, on, it's, in, it's in the pressure side, so you'll lose very little. Pan. Yeah, so you'll, you'll lose very little from that sensor, yep. All right, with that, we've got to wrap it up. We're all out of time. We're going to do it again real soon. We're going to get to a lot of your calls and questions, so... We'll see you then. Thanks for joining me. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. Thanks to the guys from Pittsburgh Power. We'll see you next time. All right, we're going to go ahead and start a second hour here. We're going to get right to the calls and questions. So jump in. You may still have a shot. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs. Back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking, and today is the Power Hour. 
I've got John and Pete with me from Pittsburgh Power. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance. Engines, performance, fuel mileage, horsepower, torque, upgrades, modifications, electrical emissions, new technology, you name it. We'll talk about it. We're going to get to your calls in just a minute. John and Pete, welcome, guys. Hi, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us back, Kevin. The uh, Hey, on that last caller in the last show, if he's still listening, uh, in the block toward the rear on the left side there is where you're going to find that sensor. So I got had it. one of my... One of my guys here texted me while we were on, on the show. He's out there listening. He got to me, told me where ah, it was. Oh, perfect. So. We, we love that. So, uh, you know, there's always something going on we could talk about, but I'm looking at the board, and we are just loaded with questions. What do you say we get right to them this time? Let's go. All right, let's do that. Let's get started in Texas. Eric, welcome to the program. How you doing, Kevin? How you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Uh, yeah, I got an oil sample here. I uh, just wanted to go over and make sure everything good with my engine. I had an in-frame done in June. Haven't changed the oil since. Um, you changed it once, right? Hopefully, right after the in-frame? No. Ooh. That, the thing about it is... uh. <clears throat> uh they didn't have any oil in it when I picked it up, so I practically put almost eight gallons, seven gallons of oil in it. What? After I picked it up. You you mean it was started so, and it was yeah, it running was like that? Yeah, because I checked the oil. I checked the oil after I picked it up, and they said they filled it up, but they they didn't. So I had to put almost eight to seven gallons in it. Wow. What engine do you have? A Cummins. Cummins IX. I mean, the total capacity is only 11. Yeah, that shouldn't shouldn't even run. Right. Shouldn't even start. Yeah, when I we didn't do up, that, did we? I, it didn't leave here, <laughs> no, though. No, I, I had to. No, no, no. I, uh, I, went, to the, I went to the Cummins. <laughs> I went to the Cummins shop in, uh, in, uh, in Memphis. That was okay, yeah. Down. Well, you better have a talk with them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, they said they did it, and they don't know where the oil went and stuff like that. So I just said, you know, forget it, and uh, went to speed call and put some oil, put oil in it. Uh, it took almost so eight it, gallons. Eight, and it, and eight, it hasn't, eight, 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 it hasn't lost any since. Uh, no, about every ten, about every, about I put a gallon in every. Uh, I got like forty, forty, forty-eight thousand. Uh. Miles on the oil, so I only put like two gallons in. All right, so here. Well, let me talk to you about this. So that engine was just rebuilt. So there were people in there doing things. It was opened up inside the shop. There's gaskets being scraped, parts being cleaned, and some of that stuff ends up in there no matter how hard you try. So anytime you have an engine rebuilt, you want to do one quick oil change on it for sure. Uh, you know, a lot of people recommend you know no more than five thousand miles on that first oil. I personally, when I build an engine. Uh, I take it for a test drive, and I come back and I dump the oil out of it, and I put fresh oil in it again. That, that's just me. Now, that's, yeah. you know, if that's an engine in one of my cars or something I've built, uh, and then I'll leave that in there for a while. But you always, always want to do a quick one just to get the anything that might be left behind from the rebuild. And no matter how hard you try or how good you think you are, 
stuff is getting in there when that engine's open. So uh, you really need to change this oil like yesterday. So we'll see what Kevin okay. has to say about the about the uh, about the report, though, too. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. Okay. So I, I've got a lot of history here. I want to make sure I'm looking at the right stuff. You said that was done in June of this year, right? Yes, uh, number twelve is the uh, my is, recent oil. It, it, my, the recent one I did. Number eleven is before the. Rebuilt. Got it. Okay, so I can ignore all that stuff because it was clear there was all kinds of stuff going on back then, which makes sense because we were coming up on an in-frame. Um, now looking at this one, I couldn't agree with John Moore. I would say the same thing if we didn't even have an oil sample in front of us. But just to give you an idea, you, your silicon is at 26, and we like to see it under 10 so you're almost three times higher. That's dirt. That's all that junk John just talked about in the engine, and it's destructive. So you want to get that oil out of there. Um, the good news is we're not seeing a ton of wear metals, um, but we're seeing wear metals kind of across the board. Um, a little more than we'd like to, but, but it's not horrible. So um, like you said, change the oil yesterday. Okay, and that's what I do. Do I go yeah, do that, I, and then I, uh, should I go to should change I go to the oil? Rotella. I like Rotella. I'm a the, fan of Rotella. Rotella's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah just, just go the with the regular for now. Uh, no, I okay. go with the T6. I would. Uh, yeah, I go with the T6. But I'll tell you what. Draw a sample quickly. Uh, those wear metals across the board again. I think could be from assembly. If you've ever looked at a brand new bearing, it's got like a dust on it almost. Yeah. Uh, so all that stuff is is giving some things off uh, from the from the get go. So what I would do do a do a change, and then you know run it for you know fifteen or twenty thousand miles. Then just pull a sample and take a look at it and see if all that stuff's cleared up. Okay. Okay. So you you can't really tell if it, if they've done it right or not. Uh, you know, as far you can't as tell anything from this yet. No, not. That. Now the the best we can say is that it's burning pretty clean. You know, we don't have any fuel dilution. Soot is is pretty low. So those are all good signs that it went back together. It's running pretty well. Um, But this first sample can just be really confusing. The one number that concerns me a little bit, um, and this is probably from the silicon that's in there, we have chromium at 5. And we almost never see chromium uh, until we're starting to do you know, getting some wear up in the upper cylinder region. So um, we're early. Get it changed. Uh, you should be fine. Okay. Okay, I'll call you back in a couple, a month or so with another sample. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thanks. Let's head off to Ohio. Doug, welcome to the program. Good day, gentlemen. Pete, John, Kevin, how are you all today? Good. What's on your mind? Great. I would like to ask about fuel additives, because I've noticed that ultra-low sulfur diesel tends to be rather, uh, how shall we say, dry. Uh, I've looked at most of the commercially available additives on the shelf, and they all have the same thing on the label. Contains petroleum distillate. Why am I going to pay 13 14 or more dollars for a quart of kerosene with some coloring in it and maybe a little bit of oil? 
What's I'll, your take on adding two two cycle oil, two ounces per hundred gallons? Well, let me jump in, and I'm sure John, Pete, you guys have an opinion here. So I, I go way back on this. When we first switched to low sulfur, not ultra low, when we first made the switch to low. Everybody said, oh, my God, no lubricity. You're going to wipe out everything. And I, you know, wasn't a huge fan of additives. They're a cost. I didn't see the benefit. And I ran all of my trucks, zero additives for 1.2, 1.3 million miles. Never saw any of the failures they said I was going to see because of the loss of lubricity. I'm not saying we didn't see that loss. But it didn't seem to affect any of my engines. Now, I know that's a very, very small sample size, but it worked for me. If, if my engines are running as long as I want them to without those failures, why would I spend that extra money? Now, I way back when with the mechanical engines, I used to use automatic transmission fluid in, in my tanks all the time. Thought it did a great job. I would never do that today. I wouldn't use two-cycle oil wouldn't use anything because these engines are way too complicated and there's all kinds of stuff in those oils that aren't designed to be in diesel engines. I think we do just fine on fuel alone, maybe an injector cleaner a couple times a year. I mean, that's my take on this. John, Pete, what do you guys think? Well, you know, on our Dodge pickups, we run the Lucas uh, upper cylinder additive. Um, it's preventative maintenance to it. It's not terribly expensive, and we don't put a lot of miles like you guys do, but it does add lubricity to it. So we, we run that here on our equipment. But definitely would not put oil, like Kevin said, in there. That's, you can't do that now. See, I, I'm going to be a little different here. Oh, well, just hold, because I've hold on there, John, been racing two-cycle two things for you. I, I want to <laughs> get, get your opinion on this, but I want to not rush it. The music's playing. We're going to get to a break. We'll be right back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got John and Pete with me today. So, John, go ahead. I don't think it'll actually hurt anything. The uh, Like the two-cycle oils are carried through the fuel. They uh, Though they're mixed in, they tend to not burn off as fast or fast enough, and they stay through. 
Uh, so what will happen is you look inside your pipe, your exhaust pipe, after there'll be a little sticky film inside of there. And I only know this because I've done it in my Dodge. I read up on this and I ran some synthetic two-cycle in it because I always have it around for the kids' go-kart. So uh, it didn't seem to hurt anything, but I would definitely not do it on a truck that's got a DPF on it because you're, you're going to end up with issues there because that stuff doesn't make it the whole way through the engine. But it does lubricate quite a bit. But, uh, again, the new engines are built to accept the, the fuel without the sulfur in it. So I don't think it hurts anything as long as you don't have a, a, an after-treatment system. But I, I don't know that it helps all that much or if it's absolutely necessary. That's all. And don't get caught because it's probably illegal. It's probably illegal, too, yeah. <laughs> You're putting sulfur back in the fuel that they took out. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, you know, and my thing about this really, I was all about bottom line. You know, if something wasn't doing any good, even if it wasn't doing any harm, if it wasn't doing any good, why would I spend money on it? Um, and that was my point. It might be little, but little things add up over time. And I just found that even going back, you know, to the pre-emission engines that mine were doing just fine without any additives. So that's, uh... That's my take on it. Let's head off to Massachusetts. Cohen, welcome to the program. Hey, gentlemen. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I had a, a report that I sent to you, Kevin, to take a look at. I uh, wanted to ask you a quick question about it. Yeah. Let, uh, John Pete, so you, you guys know. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these reports. I love these things. It's called Rig Dig. Um, it's basically like Carfax for a semi, but it's way better than Carfax. It has all the same information Carfax does, um, you know, history, title brands, insurance claims, all kinds of things like that. But because they're commercial vehicles, everything about a commercial vehicle is recorded. Every accident, every roadside inspection, all of those things are recorded and RigDig is able to bring them up. It's just like Carfax, you put in the serial number, pay them, whatever it is these days. I think we even still have a discount on this for our listeners. But there is just a ton of information. Now, I, I just pulled yours up, Cohen. Your, you said you had a specific question. What is it? Well, this truck, uh, gentleman was not even selling it. He's just been sitting in his yard, and uh, he suggested that if I... He basically was going to rebuild it, put in an auto frame because uh, he, he has the whole engine taken out. And uh, I just looked at that uh, thing about the odometer or the brand. I wasn't sure what to make of it. Uh, if you're going to do, so here's the question. If you're going to do an auto frame, do you really care about that? Um that- I'm not sure what I'm looking at. One, yeah, one actually, actually, of all of these things, um, t- what they call a title brand or an odometer brand can be pretty serious. Um, usually, if there's a title brand, I'm going to dig a little deeper because these are the kind of vehicles that what happens is they'll take a vehicle that was in a flood and absolutely knowing that that flood is going to show up on a record and nobody would ever buy it, they do these crazy title swap kind of schemes to get that off the history. But then what ends up showing up is the title brand. But a lot of people don't understand what it means. They, they may not look that far so I'm looking to try to figure out, because there's about a hundred things that can show up as a title brand. 
Um, the oh. only thing that I'm seeing is it's um, the title brand is because the odometer isn't original. Let me see if there's anything else okay. that jumps out in here. Um, it looks like it's been owned are you, are you by... Are at something else? Yeah, I am, because I, I, I want to dig a little deeper into the history, so I'm looking at how many owners it's okay. had. Um, yeah, like a bunch of them. It, it looks like it's had four. Um, so let me go back. What's the... This is a 99, so four owners, that yeah, it doesn't concern me. That's not out of the question on trucks. This old, the original... It's really, it's really in really good shape. Aesthetically, yeah. The original owner, we don't even have any information on. That's a little weird. Um, looks like maybe the second owner was Essential Freight Systems in Northfield, Ohio, my old stomping grounds. Then it went to Dearborn Steel Express in Dearborn, and then it went to JB JP Graham Transport in New Brighton, Pennsylvania. Um, I don't. I wouldn't be concerned about this. I, I, I would think that you're not paying a whole lot for this truck anyway, right? Uh, you wouldn't think that. What? Sorry. You're probably not paying a whole lot for this truck, right? Well, how much do you think? What would you pay for something like that? So uh, let so me it has look. No engine, literally. Uh, no engine, no block that we can rebuild, or at least a block that we can rebuild. Uh, no, the block, the block is the block is there. The block is there, but it was taken out, so it's much easier to rebuild. Actually, part of the work has already been done. Got it. But okay. the block is there. So this was set up for an N14. It's a complete engine. Sorry. Go ahead, Pete. It's a complete engine, though. You have the complete engine. You have the complete yeah, engine. It would, be, it, it would it would have to be a, uh, an out of frame. No, but the, is the engine complete that they have with it? Yes, it is. Okay. Okay. So so it's a '99 Volvo, which I absolutely love. One of my favorite trucks. Uh, got an N14 in it. That's pretty darn hard to beat. Um, I I would actually pay more than probably what they're they're asking for it. These are the kind of vehicles to me. Okay. That if you understand what you're buying, there's more value than what the market would put on it. Because I know the potential. You know, we've got a 99 Volvo. They hold up really well. n is just a bulletproof engine anyway. Um, I, I wouldn't have a problem paying 15 for it. I was, think, I was, I was thinking of um, changing the uh, Rockwell 10 to a... Maybe a Nissan Fuller 13. What do you think of that? That's easy enough. Yeah, I don't have a yeah, prob- problem with, with all that. That's easy. That's a good change. Now's the time to do it. But uh, if you could get a, a good deal on this truck, I think this is a great find. Okay. All right. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's see. Sure. We are going to head off to Georgia. Charles, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Hey, guys. Uh, had a couple comments uh, just listening in here from the first segment and uh, a question then for the guys at Pittsburgh Power. 
the first thing was the ELD issue. I know there's a lot of ELD love going around. And um, what I hear with this is, is on the national security side is a complacency issue. And there is, you know, the talk about, oh, well, what is the motivation? You know, there's a lot of effort involved to hack the devices and so forth. And the problem is cybersecurity right now in the United States is, is one of the largest growing military sectors because of the danger it is to this country. We have elements of the, the national grid that are on uh, the Internet and accessible to hackers, um, waterways, um, you name it. There's a lot of things that are available on the Internet that are dangers. Um, we already know there's a capacity shortage in the trucking industry where it touches us. And we know with the ELDs coming, uh, you know, everybody's predicting it's, it's going to increase that shortage. Um, so we have fleets, okay, right, with thousands of trucks. You have a fleet, and, and there's dedicated branches of militaries uh, that put effort into hacking, right? So if you can take a large section, say in a couple major fleets in the United States, and you can knock those trucks down and put them out of service, even if it's for a couple days, you're talking catastrophe across the United States. You're not going to have food on shelves. You're not going to have uh, fuel getting to the, the fuel stations. And it's only going to take a couple days before people start turning into complete lunatics. Um, and, and we know this through Katrina. And look at what happened there. Uh, I mean, you, you guys kind of get the picture. You know, historically, through the United States, Pearl Harbor was complacency. Uh, 9-11 was complacency. How many more examples do we need of complacency where people are dying in major instances in this country before people are going to stop being complacent? And this is putting a major, major thing in our country, our transportation industry, at the hands of foreign hackers. And to me, uh, Char- it's, it's idiotic. Charles, uh, let I me- see the reason for, for doing let- ELDs regulation-wise, but like, come on, guys. We, we need to think about this a little bit deeper. Charles, let me. The music's well, uh, playing. I have, I have news I, for you. I, I'm gonna uh, go ahead. Hey, hold on there a second, John, because uh, the music's playing, and, and I think you and I are both gonna jump on that. Um, I agree and disagree, and I, I will tell you, um, I've done a tremendous amount of reading, hundreds of books about the things that could really, really harm this country, whether it's EMPs, taking the grid down, all kinds of things. I'll tell you what I think about that right after this. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. Oh. We're, uh, we're talking with Charles in Georgia. Uh, Charles, first off, let me, let me say that I take this topic extremely seriously. 
In fact, I'm going to break one of the golden rules because I think we, we need to start changing this. It, call it prepper. I know that's got the, you know, kind of a goofy connotation because of the media and the TV. Um, call me a prepper because I am. Sure. Um, if this happens, I'm in pretty good shape. My biggest concern if this happens is that nobody else is prepared. And they're going to want everything I have. So now I have to arm myself to the teeth and have an arsenal and a plan. You can call me crazy, but if it happens, I'd rather be prepared than not. So, and just like you said. Well, I'm the opposite. I'll, I'll balance you out, Kevin. Okay. I do nothing. Okay, I'm, I'm not armed. I'm not. In, I, I do. If it, I'm going down with a ship. I don't care. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to enjoy the ride. Till if I'm living in fear and, and wasting brain brain power on worrying about this stuff, I'm not enjoying life to the fullest as far as I'm concerned. Well, but, su- uh, yeah, so, so su- I'll balance you out. Surprisingly <laughs> enough, surprisingly enough, I actually, the en- the yang. I, I actually enjoy the whole prepping process. Kind of a hobby now, and, it, and it's fun, so I don't feel like I'm wasting brain brain power uh, it's more of a challenge and but cool. and and here's the thing I, i'm not talking about just an emp or you know the grid going down long term you mentioned things just like hurricanes you know extended power outages people are i mean they're suffering in a couple days in this country we see what happens every time there's a storm the grocery shelves empty in hours I don't want to have to deal with something stupid like that. We had ice storms here last year that shut down 84 and didn't bother me a bit. I mean, I could have easily lasted months. wouldn't wouldn't even phase me. So it's not even just the big. If I was at your, if I was at your place, I wouldn't leave either. Well, yeah, exactly. See that, John? That's that's my point. Well, what would strike you about the the easiest thing? Kevin, so so here's my here's but, but hold on let me risk. let me get to one, one here's let, here's my problem uh, hold with on. this whole line of thinking go let, go ahead real quick I've yeah. got something on this though okay let me we could do the rest of the okay, show okay, on this so might be like, fun um, but here's the thing you just mentioned a big fleet let, let's say they do let's say they take the biggest fleet right. uh, let's say they get to Swift somehow and they're able to shut down every Swift truck on the road which would be extremely difficult. Let's just start with that. that I can't even imagine how they would do it's it. feasible, though. Would, yeah, come on. It's, lots of things are feasible. We have to it look at... Feasi- no, I'm, I'm being dead serious. No, it, I, it, North uh, Korea is an example. North okay, Korea. I get Did it. Do you know about I, the, the look, centrifuges, how, where our involvement was there? Absolutely. I read the book. It was outstanding how we did that to okay. them. I think it was amazing. Okay. I, look, I've, there isn't that's much... military. No, that's there, not civilian there isn't much i haven't read about this topic so let's look at it though let's okay. say they did get to swift so what that's like one percent of the trucks on the road the biggest all of the biggest fleets combined don't even make up 10 percent of the capacity it's not that big of a deal and they know that so why would they put all that time and and first of all that fleet would have to have an ELD that would actually be able to shut down the truck. There aren't that many of them that will do that. There's no requirement in the ELD itself to be connected to the cloud. None. So we don't even have Recent to have we, we don't the even cent- have to have the connectivity the at all. Shutdown, which was a small segment, single digit percentage of the industry. Single digit, small single digit percentage of the industry that shut down on ten four in the protest of the ELDs. Right. If you were watching rates that week, just in that small segment, we're, we're talking minuscule amount of guys that were shutting down. 
Right. And the rates skyrocketed that week. But the shelves were full. Shutdown. And we're not talking, again, but, not a lot but, of people. Well, not rate, a lot of people. And it's such a... Right. Rates are way but different. what happens when we take that 1% and we now make it 10%? Well, you can't. You're going to You'd see, have to get I mean, to every the major... Implications You'd, you'd have to get to every and major. The are serious, though. And what are we gaining from it, Kevin? Though, but what hold, but hold on. It? It, it's the return the on investment. These other countries aren't stupid. They could more easily shut down the electrical Absolutely. grid, right? So they're not going to go after a target that the electrical have... grid is a hardened grid. No, it's not. We've been spending years. No, we haven't. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, we Our haven't. Cyber... I have friends that work in cybersecurity. But... We are very active in making sure we contract with private uh, industries. So, so look, hold on. To help with the hold, security hold on. on a national security basis. Right now, this this minute, North Korea could push a button and launch an EMP. Right now, this minute, they need no more technology. They just proved that to us. They need nothing else. To try to hack every single fleet with an ELD in a way that would actually shut the truck down and still only affect 10% of our total capacity, that is, that is a target that isn't even on anybody's radar. There's the, most of the fleet's won't be right. a, you won't be able to shut the truck down, but forget the ELD for a second. Right. You better start fighting the fact that all the trucks, the OEMs, are connecting the engines to the grid. That's a much bigger issue than the ELD. The ELD is passive; it doesn't have to be connected to the cloud at all. But yet, it's every a, every it's a network medium. That is used it, through cell phone and satellite networks, and that's, a, that's what I'm saying, Kevin. But, There's a simple solution. Like, we can keep the ELDs, but let's do a simple security solution and not allow the ELDs to be connected through satellite or cell phone networks. So, if so the you, company wants to manipulate it when the truck is in the shop and do the downloads, that's fine. That the ELD, but putting it on look, the cell phone networks and the ability if, for the outside Internet to get access is a problem. If vehicles are the target it, of a country... there. Yeah, it, you're not... Exactly. Go the, ahead, John. The ELD's got nothing to do with it. Your vehicle's got that cap- capability right now. It's got a GSM uh, receiver in it right now and, and transmitter. Right. So okay. if it's a 14 or newer, you've got it. It's there. And the ELD's got absolutely nothing to do with it. The ELD, all it does is knows if the truck's moving. And, and report. There's, it does not have the ability to go there back to the ECM and tell it what to do. But your truck already has that. The point that's, is... There's a lot more of the ELD involved, but that's a whole other discussion. You're fighting the wrong right. fight. So, it's not, so to assimilate the ELD with this, with this paranoia has got nothing. You know, they're, they're, it's not, it has nothing to do with the ELD. But your truck's already got it. It is you know, not so you've paranoia. Got a 14 or newer it's truck. a very real thing that can happen, and a hacker can access through a cellular or satellite network just as through the devices that they're now putting in the trucks, they can access the ECM of the truck. It is a feasible thing. It is not paranoia. Paranoia is based on on things that are non-factual, usually, like that type of thing. I, I mean, didn't you're, say... You're basically I, saying I, this look, is non-factual. I, no, I didn't. actually access that ECM. No, no, I, I can't say it's not non-factual, but I just don't think it's worth worrying about. Yeah, nobody... I, I'm sorry. I'm that complacent guy. It's just, you, okay. There's no, there's no upside happens. in it. There's no return on investment right. for somebody. I, and I'm not the Every, complacent yeah, I guy. I mean, I, I, I'm not the complacent guy. I'm saying we should be protecting against this every way we can and that's why the ELD would distract from being the ELD is where we would waste time 
on an issue that will never matter. There are dozens of other ways that would be far more effective than trying to go after the ELD, even if you're going after the vehicles, which is a stretch because it's too hard to have an impact because we have so much capacity. So look, and like John said, the, the vehicles are all connected already anyway. They all have that ability. Why take this weird, screwy back door when we have 87 different ELDs on the market and you'd have to do something different for every one of them when all you have to do is look at the vehicle manufacturers and go, oh, look, we could get to every Cummins engine by doing this. So vehicles are a target. The ELD... Because on a warfare level, it's a target. That's why. On a warfare level, global warfare level, it is a target, and it's a realistic target. I, and you don't I, have to impact just one thing. Well, you can well, have a multiple target impact. Yeah, and, well, and that can be the grid in areas that soft spots are found, right? It could be waterways blowing open dams. It can be our transportation uh, sector making an impact on that. And, and these are all just, I mean... It, yeah, you get labeled this whole paranoia prepper thing and all this. This is just being real. This is a real threat. So let's do the security part of it so to make sure that this is not going to be something that is so easy. And, and actually, it is fairly easy right now um, with the security levels that they have in with the ELDs. So it, it, it just needs addressed is basically what I'm saying. It's too dangerous to just hang it out there and be complacent and go, oh, it'll never happen. It's, it's, you know, it's too difficult right now. You know, why would anybody have this motivation? But there are people around the world motivated every day that want to kill Americans and want to destroy this country. There's plenty of motivation to take the United States down. So so don't ever I, underestimate that. Well, I, I think you have to understand I do. I said I'm the prepper. I'll even put it out there and people can call me weird. I get it. I've read all this stuff. I just think that that you're way, way off track on this. First off, it's never going to happen. Um, we have too many ELD manufacturers right now. That'll work itself out. We'll only have a couple in a couple years. Maybe they'll address this. I, but this is way, way, way down the list of the, the ways they're trying to get to. And they are trying to get to us. But this is way, way, way down the list. We'll just have to agree to disagree on that one. Or maybe we'll plan a show on this. That'd be fun. We're going to come back and get to mechanical stuff right after this. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. We're going to get back to the calls. I'm going to go back to Charles in Georgia because, Charles, I think you had a mechanical question, too. Yes, sir. I had two things. I wanted to touch on the oil. Um, I was kind of curious with the Dello oils, and you noted the one of the previous callers with the uh, antifreeze uh, and having more of an impact of wear metals coming up. I was curious um, on which oil it is because uh, learning about the CK4 oils and some of the different levels of ZDDP and, and versus new additive packages, you know, 
uh, like, uh, well, using more of uh, additive packages like boron uh, and moly and so forth to try to uh, replace the traditional ZDDP. Uh, and the 1540 oils apparently are a little more heavy, generally speaking, with ZDDP falling into the CK4 uh, category where a lot of the 1030s and so forth are more more like uh, moly and boron based using their packages, less CDDP if you, if you look at some of the specifications amongst uh, various manufacturers. So uh, I'll let you answer that one there. Yeah, what what was the specific question in there? Like which oil specifically, which yeah, Dello? Yeah which, yeah, which oil were you seeing the, the wear metals increase when you'd see the coolant in it? Because my suspicion would be you was probably – you know, if you run in the Volvo, it's going to be a 1030 oil if it's in a Dello. Yeah, if I, I, I wasn't really breaking out the numbers, but I, I, I looked at enough of them to know that it seems to be a much more pronounced in the newer oils. Right, yeah, with the reduction of ZDDP. Yep, sure. yep. Yep, that makes sense. Uh, the TBN stuff involved in there, and that now uh, there was some commentary on the TBN and the reducing TBN. TBN is, is essentially it's your acid neutralization of the oil. So a lot of the newer oils, why you're seeing TBN drop off is because you don't need as much acid neutralization. We don't have the sulfur uh, in the fuel, and the sulfur was a big reason behind in previous uh, engines. The acid, uh, that yeah. We would get uh, acids, yeah. you know. The, the sulfur byproduct combined with uh, moisture, crankcase and so forth, of course, creating an acid byproduct. But Yep. Absolutely. Um, um, yeah. You, the other question I had was the turbos. You've got that right on. I just want to add one more comment. Yeah. Um, what we need to have happen, and, you know, I, I think we use the best lab in the country. I think Polaris is amazing on how they stay up on top of technology, and they haven't adjusted to this, and neither have any of the other labs. The problem is base is important, and, and all of a sudden our base number is no longer accurate. Until they adjust their levels right. for this, I feel like we're guessing. You know, they're telling us we're low on base, and I don't think we right. are, but I don't want to be guessing. Um, so I, I just hope they get on the ball and, and, you know, give us some new numbers here pretty quick. Agreed. Our traditional safe base levels are definitely uh, adjusting with the uh, modern engines and modern oils. Uh, and uh, it's it's going to take some uh, getting used to, and then you kind of get thrown to the mix of the older engines too. So you get the older engines that don't have quite as um, uh, good a combustion as right. some of the newer engines, the higher pressures and so forth, burn characteristics. And that that kind of throws a little wrench in the in the mix too with yeah. proper oils for uh, you know if you have an older engine versus a newer engine stuff too. So exactly. Um, um, hey, question about the turbos. Um, I had heard that. Pittsburgh, the guys Pittsburgh Power there um, were working on a variable geometry type turbo with some sort of a mechanical, um, uh, like non-electrical actuation or something for the, the Cats, Cummins, and Detroits, the older motors, um, uh, to get better airflow, lower RPMs, have a broader range on the turbo and so forth. Uh, I could be totally off on that, but if you could touch on that and um, kind of let me know where that stands. Uh, well, that's um, one, that's one of my favorite subjects. We we are uh, we we've retrofit quite a few uh, Detroit Series 60s, uh, and those ECMs are configurable to to manage the V pod that controls the the vanes on the turbo. So we're able to add in uh, the ins and outs that we need. There there there's enough room in that ECM to be able to do it off the ECM. 
with our own programming. It's uh, nothing to do with uh, you know the O4 and up a uh, EGR engine. So it's it's our own mapping for the turbo, and we're able to do it with the ECM. We have yet to retrofit one to a cat or a uh, or an earlier Cummins, but that's something that is on the radar. And there are some standalone controllers. It would still be electronic, but it would be its own little processor uh, that are available out there in the aftermarket. Uh, some hot rod pickup truck guys have got that down, and there's uh, a number of ways to do it. It's not all that complicated, so that's you know is something I'd like to uh, to do in the future. You know, even on a you know earlier uh, you know the earlier ISXs or even on a cat would be would be a really neat project. Would probably have to use a pretty big hole set on the cat, but the uh, the 14 liter Detroit VG uh, mounted on the 12.7 engine with our controls and programming has really really broadened the torque curve of that engine. We've seen some pretty amazing stuff with the fuel mileage on it. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I the turbo technology is uh, really advancing, and um, like I said, I'd heard about that, and I thought, well, this is this is great that you guys are doing something with this technology. I have a little background on the um, the pickup truck side. I do ECM tuning and so forth, um, and so the hot rod pickup guys, like you said, I know there's there's been a few that have um, um, experimented with things like that, mechanical actuation of EGT and and so forth. Um, so. And I heard that uh, you guys yeah. were were into that and developing it. I thought this is just it's going to do big things for the older motors, so it's great. Oh yeah, I'm, I'll follow. Yeah, I've got a I've got a five and I've got an 05 Cummins uh, pickup truck, and I've got a, a six seven turbo sitting under my desk that someone took off doing a delete. And I bought on eBay for two hundred bucks. So it's uh, as soon as I get all the pieces gathered up and everything, I'll be I'll be building my own controller and stuff for for my pickup to experiment with that. But yeah, it's definitely on the radar for some of the other ends. It's not a huge market thing, so I'd have to find someone who wanted to play. But I'll tell you, on our 12.7s, it's worked out really, really well. Uh, you know, we we went back and forth. It took a lot of time on the programming. Uh, some of the stuff we did early was, uh, I know Bruce will hate hearing this, was too high horsepower. You know, we found we were able to make a tremendous amount of power with that on there. But uh, turbo life was an issue as well as uh, fuel mileage just wasn't there either. But if we tune that thing for just right around 500 horsepower to the ground, just a touch under, uh, it seems to do really, really well. And the turbo lives there, too. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, well, that uh, answers my question. I appreciate your time, guys, today, and I'll uh, pass the torch. <laughs> All right, there you <laughs> Thank go. You. All right, thanks, thanks. Charles. Let's uh, let's head off to Iowa. Randy, welcome to the program. Hey, how are you guys doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Good. So you're talking about this new CK oil. Everybody's talking about the base number dropping, and I'm not... I'm not seeing mine drop. Um, mine is, I'm on my third oil change with it now, and everything is. I haven't seen anything really change. Yeah, I'm looking at. Your, I have the. She, I, I gave her the oil. Yeah. I, I, I'm looking at your sample here, and this is another oil I'm not familiar with. United Lubricants Super Premium Fleet, and it's a 1540. Um, is it a CK? Yeah oil yeah yeah it is i was running the cj just before this but okay so one it's it's not a new oil it's been it's been around for a long time no but they have upgraded it to the ck api right right okay so um one of the things i'm seeing um you're only running your oil to fifteen thousand miles or less so that's one of the reasons. But yeah. even even looking at that, you're still really high on base compared to what we normally see. You're up in the high sevens, low eights 
I'm seeing oils drop all the way down into the twos. I don't think it's so much dropping. I think Charles was exactly right. The the oil manufacturers realize they don't need that much base anymore. So that's one less thing they need to add to that oil. They're they're following the trend of the new engines. They're not as acidic. They don't need the base, so they're not putting it in. It looks to me like this particular oil manufacturer didn't change their amount of base. They're, they're starting with a lot of base, um, and, and you're not going really long extended drains. In fact, you're like 14,000, 15,000 miles, so I think that's why. And that's a that's a pre-emission engine there too. That's a you know that would be in a glider. That's a that's a signature six hundred engine. Yeah, and and you're burning clean. You have no fuel dilution. You have no real soot. Um, engines performing really well. But my guess is, if we were to go look, this oil probably starts with a lot of base. And then the oil manufacturers are saying, look, based on the new engines, we just don't need to put that much in anymore. So how long, how long, so this, so I, I try to shoot for 15, with, with 20, would 20 be, be fine on this, you think, or do you, you know, or, or do you think it could go a lot longer than that? Either? As long as you keep sampling, um, I don't have a problem with extended drains as long as you're sampling and, and watching it. 20 wouldn't be a problem, 25 would be fine, but really, if you want to do extended drains, I would say get a bypass filter. I, I'm not a big fan of pushing extended drains without one because there are just other things that could go wrong. Um, and the bypass is just a really nice protection. And if we're if we're going to try to extend them, then that's really the way to go because you're going to get a lot more out of them. Uh, with that said, I've got to wrap this up and get out of here. Thanks to John and Pete from Pittsburgh Power. We'll do it again next week. We'll see you then. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.